welcome to another episode of our Prout podcast, which we are renaming Prout Rev, and I will talk about that at the end of the present podcast. But today, I'm very pleased to have my good friend Alex Jakimovich from Maine come on and speak with us. He's an, an economic democracy organizer and longtime student of, of the progressive utilization theory, Prout. And we have a lot to say, I think, about some current events that are happening. So, so Alex, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dot. It's so very nice to be with you today. Yeah. So let's start. So basically, you know, um, the events of the of the past two, three months have have really shaken the world a lot in a in a profound way, and, and many of the ideas that that we've been talking about for many years. Um, and now they seem to be, wow, they could be, they, they could have some application, they could have some reality. So events are catching up with even what people have proposed as visionary events. And the progressive utilization theory is seen by some people as a little bit visionary because we're proposing an alternative to capitalism. But now, now the events of the pandemic and the shutdown of the, of the economy um, make it look like we do need some alternatives. So, um, Alex, what do you think about what's happening now? Well, I, I think that the, U uh, the U.S. and the rest of the world is facing a, a serious international crisis. And I don't think the crisis has fully understood the gravity of it because I think the real gravity of it is far beyond the health consequences of dealing with the coronavirus, but it's really bringing uh, to the forefront a lot of the um, structural weaknesses within, you know, kind of international capitalism, how we outsource, how, how we've outsourced, the world has outsourced um, many uh, local jobs to centralized production in long supply chains, for instance, in Southeast Asia, where so many goods come from that we depend on. And when those goods, those necessary goods, such as dust masks, and uh, surgical masks and the PPE, the personal protective equipment, uh, when those have become really scarce, um, we're, we're facing uh, the result of that now, and it's it's an un, you know it's an unprecedented disaster at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, I did a one of my most recent podcasts was about that about the supply chain because I looked in my house, I, I managed to find some masks. And, and um, you know, left over from some cleaning project and then said made in China. So that's there it was right there. Right. The uh, the world supply of dust masks, for instance, that uh, I use at the place that I work a lot um, as a marine electrician here in Booth Bay. The the world supply of those dust masks in uh, around January and December, but definitely in January and, and then into February began to dry up entirely because uh, two factories in Wuhan province in China accounted for something like 90% of the world's supply, and those factories had shut down. So the, the cascading effect of uh, the, the bottleneck that this creates when, when there's just an, a slight interruption in the supply chain through uh, a pandemic like this uh, is causing uh, health crises all over the place. So. Definitely. And what and as as students of Prout, we have long said that there should be some kind of regional self sufficiency. So 
a product like this, an essential product, definitely should have been um, produced locally or regionally. Absolutely. I mean, when we're being honest about this, we're, we're realizing that the whole global marketplace is based on a profit motive. And with a profit motive uh, as the only factor that's guiding policy and guiding, you know, economic uh, development, um, when that's the only issue, all these other important connections that, you know, we have a necessity to have um, a good stocks of vaccinations, good stocks of the, the reagents to, uh, to create the testing for the coronavirus, and those are in very, very short supply. We're only talking about right now the, you know, the direct, the PPE stuff and the testing for coronavirus, but it cascades across every, every product, all the essential goods, our, our food systems, our, our oil, um, our electronics, um, most of those go through very long supply chains and with, with interruptions and with grocery stores only carrying in the United States about a three-day supply of food, um, it's bringing up some very harsh realities of just how dependent and weak the system is on, on maintaining those supply chains. Definitely. And what do you think about the, uh, the current efforts of the, let's say, the, the Trump administration I use the word loosely, um, right? To to like you know the stimulus and, and and their reaction to this crisis. What what what's your opinion? Well, it, it's it's interesting. I, I I don't think that the Trump administration or or actually many other countries know how to deal with this, um, because it, it's actually two different things at the same time. I think at one point, you know, on the one hand, it's a it's a medical emergency. It's a system-wide medical emergency that if, if, if there is only individual states in the United States or even individual countries dealing with the problem effectively, it doesn't actually root out the problems because as soon as people stop the social distancing in one area, um, the, it, it seems to restart the whole process. So, I don't believe that even in the best of times, um, if the Trump administration had the best guidance right now, that if they try to do things just the way, uh, you know, just to try to keep the old systems completely intact, then they're not going to actually be able to deal with this because the, the most effective countries in, in the world that have been, you know, um, that have intervened dramatically were ones that actually aren't very desirable for most of us, such as, um, such as China and, and other states that, that were really hit hard by the H1N1 and the SARS epidemics in the early 2000s, uh, Singapore and Korea, they had learned their lessons about massive testing and um, social distancing immediately, and they, they've, they've largely contain this in a model-like fashion. But here in the West, we have kind of, you know, kind of hyper-individualism. And the U.S., what, you know, what do I think of Trump's response? I think Trump's response represents a lot of that hyper-individualistic uh, ideal that uh, we don't really, we're not accustomed to in the United States, things holding us back. 
And even with a medical emergency or a health emergency, there's a desire to reopen things um, no matter what the cost. And, you know, you know what's, what's the fine line of, of when things can reopen and how much damage the economy is acceptable and you know is that the right frame of mind so that's 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 their framework right now how much damage is acceptable but um i think we proudest would see things a little bit differently i think that we would you know we would say that hey look what are what are the the best interventions across the board um i, I mean as far as the the trump administration goes you, you could say one thing about uh, the response to the coronavirus effort, uh, to the response to the coronavirus in the individual states and, and you know the country's response. And I would have to say that um, the federal response has basically been zero. They haven't done anything. Uh, during the, the moments when things were really getting going in the United States, the, uh, the Trump administration um, recommended that uh, the U.S., two, two corporations of the U.S., that they expedite uh, exports of the personal protective equipment to China to help, you know, to, because it was an incredibly profitable period. They were completely blind to what was going on and as if they didn't care or they didn't want to believe it. And when the time had come, they haven't responded quickly enough to stop, uh, to stop the runaway amounts of deaths that are occurring now. It were, were something like 2,500 a day and growing a little bit each day. Of deaths, and uh, a report came out a couple of days ago that 90% of those deaths would have been uh, would have been curtailed had we instituted a national shelter-in-place order two weeks before uh, this, uh, the different states across the country did. You know, those are pretty alarming facts. So, you know, one of the the consequences of everybody staying home, as we all know, is this this entire stoppage of production and work and small businesses are getting crushed now in the United States. There, there's a, there's a huge, um, painful process of slowly dying or rapidly dying for many businesses that are very small and that are weighing off all their employees, but all of their, their rent, um, their rents and their debts, and those payments have to keep on continuing, even though they have no revenue coming in. And so there was a bailout package put together that you mentioned, a, a stimulus. But the stimulus was primarily only going towards um, large corporations, uh, creditors, uh, you know, businesses that have a lot of assets, such as um, – airlines, airline industry, cruise ship industry. So the, the airline industry in particular is a, a really troubling case because uh, the almost the exact amount of bailout that they received is what they had spent from, um, from previous years of, of, of stock buybacks. So in effect, what we're doing is we have subsidized them for what it costs them to buy back and artificially inflate their own stock prices. So, you know, what this is is a transfer of wealth into wealthy corporations, and they've, they've given so far uh, $1,200 a 
of compensation per adult in the United States, and, and maybe if it works out, $500 for dependent children on top of that per family. And, uh, you know, as of right now, that's a one-time payment. They're doing some uh, three or four months, I believe, four months of extra unemployment benefits for workers, which is great for people that already earned a certain, that fit those criteria. There's many, many, many people that have been left out of this criteria. Other countries, such as uh, Canada, I have heard, um, have decided that for the next four months, they're giving each adult person $2,000 a month. Uh, there's a proposal to do this right now that I've heard from the Democrats in the House nationally. So that we, we can expect all those measures to be resisted, that the actual way that the Trump organization is going to go with things and some of the more hardline extremist uh, forces in, in the Senate led by Mitch McConnell uh, they are going to use this as what, you know, Naomi Klein would call a coronavirus capitalism. Naomi Klein had written a book called The Shock Doctrine. The Shock Doctrine is kind of a premise that in extreme circumstances, um, there's an opportunity to pass forward things that could never ordinarily be passed forward, policies that could be passed forward, economic policies, or even the curtailing of civil liberties. Um, during crisis moments, such as the Patriot Act back in the day, right after the September 11 events. So coronavirus capitalism is this notion that during the period of peak coronavirus fright and trauma, collective trauma that our lives have been upended as we're no longer able to visit our relatives. Some people are dying in isolation alone in hospitals. We don't know what's going on. There's, there is no cure right at this moment. During this time, behind closed doors, they're passing laws, they're passing rules uh, that would never normally ever be uh, considered as, uh, you know, as legitimate. So in this stimulus package the other day, it was reported uh, also that there was a loophole given to uh, millionaires and it, it, the loophole amounted for a $90 million um, tax cut for millionaires. So 43,000 millionaires were going to get an average of at least $1.7 million back each from the federal government during this emergency. So that was snuck in there into this bill. And by the way, that number, $90 billion, is more than all of the, uh, the support, the financial support, given from the federal government to um, individual states across the country and hospitals. So, you know, this is the value system that's, that we're kind of fighting against. And we don't really think, you and I, and a lot of people that think like us that are proudest, we don't really think that this, um, you know, first of all, it's not sustainable. Like the system can't, can't bear this. You know, we're, we're on the precipice of a real international depression. And if we continue like this, the depression is absolutely inevitable. They would need a New Deal person like a Bernie Sanders to, to turn things around at this point. And that is not what we have before us. So what do you think? Yes. Darling? Well, I think um, we contrast this um, action now with what FDR did 
So he was faced with a, a similar situation, at least economically, with the depression and uh, financial collapse. We haven't had the financial collapse yet, but we could have it. And he was faced with that. And he also was, he also had the pressure of the, that there was a leftist movement. It was a strong right. socialist, communist movement. And yeah. with that pressure, then his response was completely different from the Trump response. And, and he, he responded with the social safety net right. and, um, and um, the Works Progress Administration, all these job creation programs. And what's also not realized that even that, com that effort, as strong as it was, it was really, it didn't bring prosperity to the country. Only World War II did. So right. we're, we're faced with, um, you know, a, a tremendous crisis. And, and unfortunately, instead of utilizing it to make better structural changes, we're going in the opposite direction. Because one thing is like you mentioned that they, they bailed out the cruise industry, but, but they're letting the postal service um, go right. bankrupt. Right. And that's, that's a tragedy. This is a tragedy. In fact, I just I mentioned it on, on another um, program I was on recently that um, there's a very good article in Jacobin um, magazine or online, and they talk about the postal system. They said that it could really be a great boon to to uh, to a, a public economy with having a postal banking service and a very, very good idea. So the, we could be strengthening our public institutions and we could also be. When these capitalists come hand in hand, you know, you know, the hat in hand and they're coming for their handout, we should put more um, strictures on them. And we should make, if we not, down, not downright nationalization, but at least we should get some employees on the boards and, and things like this. But we're, we're just giving them the free, um, you know, blank check. And, and we're just getting more of this, this um, crony, crony capitalism or um coronavirus capitalism, whichever you want to call it, but we're, we're getting it. So we're going in the opposite direction of what we should be. That's my opinion. I, I definitely agree. And, and as you were mentioning, um, it's a long-term project during these times that uh, the real extreme end of these folks behind the scenes, uh, they want to privatize most aspects of government. They would be happy if they could privatize all of it so that all aspects of government would be privatized, whether all the safety net is, is part of their aim, Social Security, Medicare, um, all things like that, the post office, uh, public schools. Their desire is for these to be profit-oriented industries of the, of, the, of the private sector. And they're using this moment to put the squeeze to get their way as far as possible on, on these issues, and they're starting with the ones that are already weakened by the lack of revenue. Uh, the, the post office you've mentioned, it, you know, it, it's in big trouble because, uh, you know, it, it needs traffic in order to generate revenue. And with the, with the revenue down, you know, 50 to 70 percent now, and even when it jumps about quite a bit, they're only expecting it to jump, you know, to get to gain back 50 percent of what it was. They, they have an ongoing fiscal shortfall. Um, they're also, I think, uh, tied, they're tethered to uh, some old policies from the 90s where they, I think they have to have their pensions paid for uh, 30 or 35 years ahead uh, of the current date, fully paid for for the next 35 years. 
which is uh, unlike any other institution in government or the private sector. So some of these hang-ups um, aren't being allowed to be resolved in a rational way so as to be so that the screw can be twisted tighter in to make them fail. And, and that's, this is across the board. This is, we, we can expect this from here on out with this, this group, this group of uh, oligarchs. If, I mean, if we really want to use the right term, we're, we're looking at the opposite of people who uh, were claiming to drain the swamp. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what's what's happening is that we're um, we're just not utilizing the the possibility. Because what I want to jump in here and say is that that our concept is that things which are of, uh, in the public interest um, they should be under public control, and, and not only just um, things like the post office or even education, but even there are certain industries which have to come under public management and. In, a, in an ideal setup of Prout, we would have the key industries and utilities. These would be under public management. But every, as you mentioned, that, that the, the philosophy of, of, of this uh, present administration and their backers is to, to, to gut the government and to, um, they, want, they want to not drain the swamp, they want to dis- pave over the swamp, but they want to, in a bad way, they want to, they want to just destroy government uh, or destroy public oversight over different activities. And right. This is really- I, I agree. I, I think, you know, even to nuance that a little bit more, what they really want is a welfare state for the rich, the wealthy, and corporate interests, special interests. And austerity and laissez-faire capitalism for everyone else. Yeah, if they believed in laissez-faire capitalism, then we would let we would let the cruise ship right. industry go exactly. bankrupt. You know, that's, exactly. that's really it's that's socialism a capitalist for the rich. approach. Exactly, yeah. it's socialism in the welfare state for the rich and austerity, and you know, do the best you can for everybody else or charity. Uh, this is a long-term, progressively increasing uh, trend that's been going on for generations, and now it's it's entering a severe turn where they're, they're, they've begun to lose all conscience and sense of proportion of what they can get away with, and they're just going for everything. They're going for broke. And this is a, you know, this is a unique presidency where you know, someone so... Um, he doesn't seem to care about actual facts in the real world as much as he does about... Um, pleasing certain constituencies that can help, which can be his clearest path forward to being reelected. So, you know, that's a very cynical thought, but um, I I don't know how we can say a lot of good things about uh, the Trump response to much of anything. Um, No, definitely. Definitely. In fact, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to end with with pessimism because, because even though like the, 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 their, um, their way of handling things is going to make things worse. I think, though, that, that this situation and and coming calamities, this is only the first, there can be more calamities, but I think that this is going to wake up the world and make it possible so that better things can come in, in the future. Because, because actually, um, reality has caught up with something, like when Bernie Sanders was talking about 
um, Medicare for all or universal health coverage, then we saw in the pandemic we have to we have to provide health coverage for people, or else it's um, other people will be infected. You know, so so these these things are coming into the the mind of people now. Right. At least some minds know that that things have to change, and I think that this this um, crisis will be a catalyst for for something better in the future. That's that's my opinion. Definitely, and one of the things that we've noticed in Maine and even regionally, and I heard elsewhere as well, um, I heard a figure that something like there's a four there's a four hundred percent increase, a fourfold increase in the use of uh, community supported agriculture as people begin to shift directly their dollars from this long supply chain, which is very weak and, and, and it's threatening to folks because it's now in danger of being interrupted as, you know, with this, you know, hyper social distancing, it's, it's making a real throttle on the food supply in some areas where I heard in the United States, there's a, uh, they're in danger of uh, some meat factories uh, that are, are supplying large amounts across the country of going under. That doesn't hurt my feelings in particular about meat, but the idea that the economy is gradually shifting to meet what people's actual needs are and to have that, that idea of meeting those needs be much more local and much more directly in people's control. Um, these are very exciting moments um, that even during a, a scary and threatening situation, um, people are becoming awakened to the fact that actually we need everybody to have access to healthcare and testing um, because, you know, for a lot of reasons, let alone that it's an ethical imperative that all people should have it. It's actually a, a necessity that they have it now where it may not have necessarily been beforehand because if people don't get it now, they may go untreated and pass on uh, contagion to others around them. So this is an opportunity uh, to do a lot of good work. And, and actually the opportunities are growing by the day as, as people are, are really being forced to realize that this system isn't really going to be caring for ordinary people unless it's forced to. And in that, in, in that pushback of people you know, you know, how do we, how do we all support each other locally and how do we support each other nationally? It's gotta be something more than just asking for money from a bunch of greedy folks at the very top who will throw people a few crumbs while they give everything that they can to, uh, to the most wealthy. Um, you know, and the, the Sanders campaign and the Sanders uh, candidacy for, for president was a very exciting thing for me as I saw uh, generations of these issues um, suddenly get talked about. And these aren't new issues. He's been talking about this stuff for 40 years, but the time has come for these ideas. It really has. And his issues are actually kind of mainstream in Europe. They're not far left or anything like that. that these are just kind of, this is how you make capitalism work from the European perspective. And I'm not a big fan of capitalism for many reasons, and I know you aren't either, but uh, the Bernie Sanders way is far more um, empathetic and caring 
than uh, a kind of uh, uncaring, unseen hand that can admit no wrong and, and doesn't, uh, doesn't seem to have an interest in working with ordinary people if those people will criticize the effort uh, in any way, like what it is with the Trump administration. So um, anyway, Donna. Yeah, I, I agree with you fully. And um, But what, one thing which I believe is that the future of the people is bright. Oh, certainly. And the, fu- and the future of, of these oppressors and uh, of their future is not very bright. I can't, I, I can't be optimistic about that. But the future of the people is bright. And that's what we're going to be, we're going to be speaking about. We're ramping up our, um, our podcast. And we've also, I like to, I'm very happy to announce we have a, a new video channel coming out. And, and the name is Prout Rev. We're revving up the engine, you know. Prout. Oh, good. So, so it's a new video channel. It's very, going to be very exciting. Um, it's going to be coming up coming online maybe even today i think the first video will go on and our podcast is renamed used to be proudcast but it's now proud rev and one of the reasons why it was um renamed was because there was another podcast spelled the same way but it came from france and in france they pronounce it prout and that means like a fart (laughs) so it's it's, kind of satirical so i so i couldn't compete you know in spotify and right. um, itunes you know against this because they were on there for seven years so anyway we're now proud rev and we're going to be coming on um with more regularity i'm going to be talking about the issues of the day and also presenting uh the ideas of proud the progressive utilization theory Wonderful. because i think i think the time is right now for people to to get to know these ideas because we're proposing as, um, an alternative to capitalism and an alternative which also uh, corrects not only capitalism but even corrects some of the other proposals that have been floated in the past to replace capitalism. So this is what we're going to be doing and I'm very happy that um, we're starting off in a good way and um, that you came today. So I really thank you and I'm going to have you on more so I hope you don't mind that. No, that that's fine. That I, 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 uh, I appreciate this opportunity to say a few things. I've been one of the folks um, who have been forced out of my full-time position. And there's so many of us now. Um, record record numbers um, have, you know, in, in four weeks, more than 22 million people have filed for unemployment and the actual numbers are, are greater. So there's a lot of need uh, to hear alternative ideas and to have a you know a broad conversation of 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 what what these thing what these possibilities are and, and progressive utilization theory has so much so much to contribute to that that discussion. Okay, thank you very much, and um, we're going to end our conversation now. But I, I invite everyone to come back to for another episode of Prout Rev. Um, you can subscribe to it or just come back. We're we're hosted on the the website proutalliance.com org proudalliance.org so thank you all for listening